David, thank you for your kind words, and Bob, for your kind welcome to uh, the pulpit and the congregation and the family of First Presbyterian Church, San Antonio. It's been a joy to be with you, and I want to draw your attention to the Word of God, what we think about at your 175th anniversary. I've, I've been thankful for the way that you have acknowledged God's faithfulness to you over the last 175 years, but you're not looking backwards. You're looking forward. What, what would the Lord have us do now? What would the Lord have us do in the days to come? That's a wonderful balance. We never want to forget what God has done for us, but we do want to remember what he's put us for here now, and we want to think about what he's going to do in the future. So what might I be praying for you? What might I want for the congregation of First Presbyterian Church San Antonio. And of course, what I want is not important. What God wants is far more important. But I'm going to draw my prayer for you from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. You will know that almost half of that little letter is made up with prayers. You know, the, the, the whole of the first chapter is essentially a prayer. After Paul says hello to you in verses 1 and 2, verses 3 to 14, by the way, in Greek it's all one sentence, verses 3 to 14 is just a prayer of praise. And then when you get to verse 15 to the end of the chapter, it's a prayer of intercession. Well, this also is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians. But if you'll notice, either in your Bible or in the bulletins, it's not just a prayer for the Ephesians. He says, if you look at verse 18, that he is praying that they would have these things together with all the saints. So Paul is saying, I'm praying God will do this not just for you, Ephesians, but for all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can know from studying this prayer what Paul wanted for you, what Paul would have prayed for you. And of course, because he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what God wants for you. So I don't know the details of how the Lord is going to use this church now and in the immediate future, but I do know that God wants these things for you. And so I want to draw your attention to those things as we read from God's Word in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, this beautiful prayer of the Apostle Paul. This is the Word of the Lord. Hear it. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, according to the riches of His glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. What you pray about reveals what you care about. What you pray about will show you what you care about. You, you show me a Christian mother 
with a seriously ill child, and I'll show you a woman who's praying. Why? Because she loves her child. We pray about what we care about. And you can tell what the Apostle Paul cares about from what he prays about. And in this little prayer, he is telling you what he wants every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to have. He's telling you what God wants for you. And I'd, I'd like you to see four things in particular in this prayer. There's a real sense in which this prayer is one singular petition that's all heading to verse 19. But I want you to see four parts of the prayer. It really begins in verse 16 where he prays that you would be strengthened with power by the Spirit in your inner being. That's the first part. And then there's another that. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then there's another so that. It's at the end of verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then there's another that in verse 19. That you may be filled to all the fullness of God. So notice the four that's. He prays that you would be strengthened by the Spirit, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, so that you would be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ for you, so that you would be filled up to all the fullness of God. I want to look at those four things with you just briefly today. The first thing that he says is he prays that you would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in your inmost being. Listen to the language. According to the riches of the Father's glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. In other words, Paul asks for you to be given power by the Holy Spirit in your inmost being. Now you need to go ahead and start asking yourself, why is Paul praying this for me? Why, why does he want me to, and get a little bit nervous, okay? You know, why do I need to be strengthened with power? We, we face things in the Christian life all the time, don't we? Where we feel like we are not strong enough to face this. This trial is too much for us. And it, it drives us to the Lord in dependence upon him. We look to him when we don't have the strength in us because we understand in the Christian life you do need strength to live the Christian life. It is a, the, the world is filled with hard, terrible things. It's also filled with beautiful things and great joys. But there are hard things to face. And we know that we need strength to face those things, but that strength does not come from us. By the way, this is one of the ways that Christianity is different from every other religion. Every other religion says it's a hard world out there, and you need to look within yourself to find the strength that you need to face it. Christianity says you won't find it in there. You, you need to get it from somewhere else. Paul makes it clear you look to God by his spirit to give you strength. You do need strength inside, but it doesn't come from within. It comes from without. It comes from the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. We need strength to live the Christian life. So Paul's saying, strengthen these believers, Lord, by the Holy Spirit in their inmost being. Now again, keep asking yourself, why does he want me to be strengthened? Do you remember the last prayer of Samson? 
You remember the, the, the erring judge who went astray, but at the end he finds himself in the temple of the enemies of God and in the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 28, he prays his last prayer. Do you remember what his last prayer was? Lord, strengthen me just one more time. So just start asking, why does Paul want me to be strengthened? Why does Paul want me to be strengthened? Then he begins to answer that question with the second that. Look at, look at verse uh, 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, now puzzle with me just a little bit about this. Paul is praying this for Christians. And surely Christians would have responded to Paul by saying, Paul, why are you praying for Christ to dwell in my heart by faith? I'm already a Christian. I, I, Christ does dwell in my heart. When, when, when I realized my sin and my need and my weakness, and when I looked in faith to Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, I was united to Jesus, and he dwells in my heart. Why are you praying for Christ to dwell in my heart by faith? It, it, it boils down to what Paul knows about the Christian life. The, the word heart in the Bible refers to the seat of ourselves, the seat of our soul. In, in modern American parlance, we often talk about thinking with our minds and feeling with our hearts, but that's not how it works in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, the heart is the seat of your desires. It, it's the place from which you desire, your inmost being. And Paul knows that your desires can kill you. You know, the, the, the Greeks used to say, whom the gods would destroy, they answer their prayers. Now, that's a, that's a pretty provocative say. What, what, what do the Greek poets mean when they say that? They mean that sometimes the things that you want can kill you. And so the Apostle Paul is praying here that Jesus would take control of your desires, that your desires would be Jesus-shaped and Jesus-formed, that he would take up residence in the deepest part of who you are and begin to transform you from the inside out. When, uh, when Ann and I were looking for our second home, we visited a lot of houses, and let me tell you, there were some fixer-uppers out there that were way beyond my DIY abilities. And I, I, I remember we went into this one place, and it had garish wallpaper and, and horrible floors and bathrooms that looked like they came out of the 14th century, and it was terrible. And, I, and we, just, we both we just sort of backed out of the house slowly and told our realtor, this is not the place for us. And lo and behold, a couple in our church bought the house, and we thought, oh my. Well, that, that was the hardest working couple, I believe, that I've ever seen. Every time we went past that house, they were tearing something out. They were working in the yard. They were working together and fixing it up. And about two years after they bought the house, they invited us over uh, for a meal. And we, we were kind of a little bit apprehensive. What's this going to look like? And we walk in the door, and it was total transformation. Uh, the window treatments were gorgeous. The, the wallpaper was perfect. The floors were beautiful. The bathrooms were amazing. And, but the thing that struck me most is the place looked like her. 
the, 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 the young woman in that family, she was amazingly talented and she had impeccable taste. And she had not only decorated it beautifully, but she decorated it like her. You could tell her tastes and her uh, inclinations and her expertise in the way the house had been renovated. In other words, it took on the shape of the person who renovated it. Well, Paul is asking that by the Spirit, your heart would be so renovated that if somebody could look inside, they would say something like this, boy, this looks like a place where Jesus has been at work. This, this looks like a place where Jesus could find himself at home. The Puritans had a beautiful way of expressing this prayer. They said, Paul is praying that our hearts would become a suitable habitation for Christ. Isn't that a beautiful, a beautiful thought? In other words, Paul wants our desires, the, the, the deepest part of ourselves, to be so under the control of Jesus Christ that we will want the things that he wants We'll love the things that he loves. We'll hate the things that he hates. We won't love the things that the world loves, but our lives will be Jesus-shaped. Our desires will be taken over him because Paul knows that the Christian life is fought at the level of the desires. So he wants you to be strengthened by the Spirit so that Jesus takes control of your desires. But he's got another that, doesn't he? Look at verse 17 again that you being rooted and grounded in love may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, that's, that's an interesting prayer. Did you catch that? Paul prays that you will know a love that is beyond knowing. Did you get that? That, that you would know a love that surpasses knowing. By the way, have you ever heard Paul say something else like that? In Philippians, he prays that you would have the peace which passes understanding and that it would guard your heart. So this is clearly the language of experience. Paul is not speaking nonsense when he says, I want you to know a love that is beyond your capacity to know. In other words, he wants you to experience this down to your bones. He wants you to be deeply aware of the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. He is asking that there would be an experiential apprehension of Christ's love for you so that you will know a love that surpasses the ability to even express. It's beyond your comprehension or your powers of expression. This is vitally important because I meet wonderful Christians around the world that struggle to believe that God loves them. I, I, I meet Christians, they understand that, that their acceptance with God is not on the basis of their works or their goodness. That they understand that, that, that God's forgiveness of their sins is not based on something that they have done, but it's based on what Christ has done for them. They know the Christian life is not 
earned by our works or our goodness, but it's based on what Jesus has done and our receiving him by faith. And they really do believe that God has forgiven them. They've, they've looked hard, just, just like you were talking about this morning. They've looked hard in the mirror and, they, and they've realized, Lord, I fall short. But they also realize God has accepted them, not because they've cleaned up their act or made themselves better, but because of what Jesus has done for them. They really do understand forgiveness by grace. And yet, they struggle to believe that God loves them as their heavenly father. And, and look, there are a lot of reasons why people struggle with that. And, and sometimes it comes down to our own experiences in life. You know, if, if your experiences with your parent or with your spouse are the experiences of people that you know love you and that, and that love is not conditioned upon your performance, but, but their love for you is absolute and unwavering, and, and even your faults and your foibles have not diminished that love. That's a very powerful thing. And people who've experienced that in human relationships very often are able to understand and experience the love of God for them. But, but other Christians have not had that in their experience. If, if, if I were to bring you to the congregation that I served in Jackson, one of the women that I would introduce to you, if you saw her, you're, she's, she's tall and striking and attractive, and she's a leader and highly respected by the people in the congregation. But if you knew more about her life, she grew up with a single mother. The father left the family when she was a teenager, and her mother was very, very bitter. And uh, she came to faith in Christ in our church youth group and really, really served her mother well, her, her mother's whole life. But her mother uh, was hard on her and the relationship was difficult. And I, I remember one day after church talking with her and she said to me, Ligon, my mother said something to me this week that she's never ever said before. And, and I said, well, what was it? Thank you. And then she just dissolved in, in, into tears. You know, this, this woman that would have been respected by everyone in the congregation and in the community, she's in tears because she's been in a relationship where nothing that she could ever do pleased her mother. Have you ever, ever been in a relationship like that? It'll kill you. Tr trying, to, trying to please somebody like that, it'll kill you. And, and, and so if you've experienced that, it can, be, it can be hard to believe that God loves you and delights in you and has taken you out of his love for your child. He's, he, you're his child. I, I often, in premarital counseling, will, will ask a young woman, do you know that your fiancé loves you? And, and happily, I can report most of the time, uh, she'll... <laughs> She'll, uh, there'll be a little smile will break on her face and there'll be a little flush in the cheeks and, and she'll say, yes, yes, I do. And when, when she says that, I know two things. Number one, he must be doing an okay job, right? Because we, we all get love different ways. Sometimes it's words, sometimes it's a touch, sometimes it's acts of kindness. There are different ways that love gets through to us in human relationships and he must have found out what's important to her. But I also know that somewhere probably in her family and probably with her father, her father has loved her well. 
She knows what it is for a woman to be treated with love and respect, how she's supposed to be treated, and therefore she recognizes it when her fiancé treats her that way. But very often I will talk with godly, mature Christian women, and they'll say something like this, I really want to know that, I really do. And he's really trying hard, but I haven't been able to feel that. And when they say that, I know something else. I know that somewhere in their past and probably in their relationship with their father, they have not felt that kind of love and regard and care and respect that a woman is meant to feel. And then it it makes it hard for them to feel that from somewhere else. Christians can be like that too. It's not that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is unloving. All human love is just a mere shadow of the greatness of His love. But sometimes we don't even have the ability within ourselves to receive that. Ah, now let's go back to that first prayer. I want you to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't even have the other end of the bridge to receive that experience of God's love. But God, Paul says, is at work in us by the Spirit so that we might know the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That love is vital in the Christian life, and you'll see that in the next petition. The last petition, this is where everything is going in the prayer. Look at verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What in the world does that mean? I've been thinking about that passage for 35 years, and I'm pretty sure that I still don't fully understand it. But I think at the very least, he means this. Paul uses the idea of the fullness of God at least three times in this little letter. You'll see it in chapter 1. You'll see it again in chapter 4. Here, I think he means you being filled up and matured, grown in grace so that you bear the image of God in you. Remember, in, in Genesis, we're told that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And one of the things that that means is that we bear a moral likeness to God. And in the temptation of Genesis chapter 3, what does the serpent say to Eve and Adam? If you will disobey God's command to take, not to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like him. And what should Adam and Eve had said to the serpent? They should have said, Mr. Snake, what do you mean if we disobey we will become like God. We already are like God. Go back and read Genesis 1, verses 26 and following, Mr. Snake. We are created in the image of God. There is nobody in this world that you are going to meet that is more like God than we are. We are created in his image. But when Adam and Eve sinned, did they become more like God? No. They became less like God. They did not lose the image, but the image was marred. It was not erased, but it was effaced. And in redemption, not only is Jesus forgiving our sins, but he is at work by the Holy Spirit to restore the image of God in us so that we look like our Heavenly Father again. And One of the powerful ways that God does that is by his love. His love and our experience of his love restores the image in us. Don Carson 
in his book called Praying with Paul tells a story when he's expounding this, this prayer. And it's about a friend of his at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, Perry and Sandy Downs. Perry was a professor at Trinity. Perry and Sandy were foster parents. And that meant that they, and they did this just as part of their Christian ministry to their community. They would, they would take uh, days old or weeks old infants into their homes and keep them and care for them until they were placed into a permanent loving adoptive family. And on one occasion, the social workers called the Downs and said, we've got an unusual situation. We'd like to place twin boys in your home and they're not infants, they're 18 months old. And we would, we'd like them to stay for a few months rather than a few weeks. And the Downs said, sure. And the first night that they put the boys down to bed, they went back down the hall and sat in the living room and they heard something strange, nothing. You know, 18 month old boys putting them to bed, you don't hear anything, they're up to something, right? So they, they went back down the hall and they poked their head in the room and the boys were in their beds with pillows over their faces, sobbing uncontrollably. The social worker told the Downs those boys had been in nine different homes in their first 18 months of life. And in most of those homes, they had been abused. And she said, my fear is they will never be cognitively or affectively normal because of the abuse that they've already experienced. The Downs kept those boys for two years. And when they were finally placed into a permanent adoptive family, the psychologist said to them, something amazing has happened to these boys. They're normal. They're, they're, they're cognitively normal. They're, they're relating to adults the way you would. What had happened to those boys? They had been loved, and it had literally healed and matured them. That's how the experience of God's love works in Christians. It literally heals and matures us. Now do you see why Paul's praying this prayer for you? Now do you see why he wants you? He wants every believer to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ forms the desires of your heart, so that you know his love. You, you believe in his love more than the air that you breathe. And it, and it changes you and shapes you and grows you and matures you so that you are like your heavenly Father. That's Paul's prayer for you. That's my prayer for you. That's what God wants for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer for the saints of First Presbyterian Church San Antonio is that according to your riches, you would strengthen them in the inmost part of their hearts, lives, and souls by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that Christ would take up residence in their hearts and transform them from the inside out, and their desires would be shaped by Jesus, so that they would know the love of God which surpasses knowledge in Christ Jesus, and they would look like their heavenly Father. And so, love God and love their neighbor in this world to your praise and their everlasting joy forever. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen.